back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all of the biggest news of the week. And yet another week goes by, and Bayern Munich is thrust into the middle of about a million transfer sagas. There is a lot to talk about. <laughs> I mean, a lot. So let's get right to it. And where else would we start this week? other than the Harry Kane situation. Now, I'll have to admit this. I have been sitting here in front of this microphone and writing on our website, BavarianFootballWorks.com, for weeks and probably even months now that I had zero faith that Harry Kane was actually going to leave England, that he would bolt from Tottenham Hotspur in favor of Bayern Munich. I just did not see it. And of course, this week, all of those thoughts I had <laughs> kind of got thrown for a loop because we saw some stories break that I have to say my head is still spinning about. Not only is Harry Kane allegedly thinking about making the move to Bayern Munich, but it seems like a deal is already in place between Bayern Munich and Kane. Personal terms have been agreed upon, allegedly, but now the big roadblock is Daniel Levy and Tottenham Hotspur. Will they sell Harry Kane? Listen, I have sat here for weeks and I'm not even going to dig in here and be stubborn about it. I still don't think they're going to do it, but I'm not going to not allow myself to get excited about the thought of Harry Kane leading the Bayern Munich attack. And here's why. When you look at the striker market that's out there, there is clearly something going on with some of the candidates. When you look at Victor Osiman, he's got so many good qualities. If you could find a knock on him, it's that physically he's 6'1", which is a good height, but he weighs just 170 pounds. He's a different type of striker than what I think Byron prefers. And if you look at who else they've considered, I mean, Randall Kolomwani from Eintracht Frankfurt is a bigger guy too. He's about six foot three. He carries a lot more weight than Osaman, but he is also a player that operates a little bit differently than I think what Bayern Munich would like. I think he's better in those wide areas. In fact, we've seen some stories indicate that Bayern thinks that Kolomwani is more of a wing than a striker. Dusan Vlahovic, of course, from Juventus, probably fits the mold physically about as well as any of the strikers out there. He's about 6'3", 6'4", just under 200 pounds, physically a strong guy. I think he is the target man type that Bayern Munich likes, but I feel like Bayern is a little bit iffy on him because they're not quite sure what they're going to get. He has not exactly wowed anyone at Juventus. Sure, he still has that natural talent, but what can he do with it? Is he motivated enough to get the best out of himself? So with those three players, there does appear to be something that is turning Bayern off. And for Bayern to kind of sweep right by them, push to the front of the line, and make this last-ditch effort for Kane, I'll tell you, I'm very impressed. I am impressed that Bayern has gotten to this stage. I'm impressed that they have convinced Kane that it would be a good move. And listen, if we believe the part about the personal terms being agreed upon, then kudos to Bayern that they got that done. They deserve all of the credit in the world for getting this far. However, and this is where the realist side of me comes into this, I am still picturing Kane, much like Declan Rice did, using Bayern Munich as a point of leverage in his own negotiations 
with Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham itself does not appear to want to let Kane go. So if a move does happen, it will appear as if Harry Kane is going to have to really push for that move, that he's going to have to ask for it, he's going to have to demand it, and then he's going to have to hope that Tottenham can become resigned to the fact that they're going to need to make as much money as possible from a sale of Kane. And by all accounts, it looks like they're looking for about nine figures, which Byron seems like they were willing to pay. And, and I can see why. I've, we talked about some of those options that Byron is passing over, but who else would be a better fit than Harry Kane? Erling Haaland? Sure. He absolutely would be. In fact, if you could give me any striker in the world, that's the one I would go after. He's not going to be available. Robert Lewandowski, a natural fit, someone who has had success with Bayern Munich already, who has proven it. He is someone who can perform not just in the Champions League, but in the Bundesliga and any other competition that Bayern Munich would play in. Lewandowski has been great in all of those. He is also not available. The one, the one piece of hope that Bayern had to get Lewandowski back was if Lionel Messi decided he was going to join FC Barcelona again. He, of course, did not and is off to enter Miami. So Harry Kane is the best of the lot. I have zero doubt about that. And honestly, I've felt that way the entire time. He is the best possible available option if he really is available. And that's where this all is going. I'm not sure to this point if he really does want to leave. I hope he does. I hope like hell that he wants to make that move to Germany and chase trophies because I do think with the roster around him, with all of the playmakers that Bayern Munich has, I think Kane could easily hit into the high 30s, maybe even low 40s in goals just in the league next year. And I know that sounds absurd, but Kane is a finisher. He will have so many creators around him. I think it would be just a natural fit. I do, however, worry about the reality of it. And I'm very curious to know what you all think about it, because I know in the comments right now, when I, when I look at any of our Kane posts, I see just a mixed bag. I see a lot of people excited and you should be, you should be absolutely be excited. I don't want to, I don't want to piss in your Wheaties, right? <laughs> like I, listen, I want to be excited about it too, but I also know that this is uh, a negotiation. This is all a big game. And until I see a big name English player in their prime opt to come to the Bundesliga, I'm just going to believe it's never going to happen. I need to see it. A lot of people thought Declan Rice was going to be the one. Declan Rice had zero intention of going to Bayern Munich. Even now, when some of the negotiations with Arsenal were hitting a wall, it, Bayern couldn't even jump back into that. It was now Manchester City who entered the fray. So I don't believe it with Kane as much as I want to. I think there are going to be some issues. And the worst part, maybe more than anything for Bayern Munich fans, is as I'm recording this, it's June 29th, soon to be the 30th. Kane is on holiday until July 12th. So nothing is likely going to get done until that point. So this is going to be an excruciating 13 days or so for Bayern Munich fans, because inevitably we are going to see so many stories break, some touting that Kane is headed to Bayern, others probably outright denying that he's even thinking about it. 
it's going to be a hell of a roller coaster ride for the next 13 days. Buckle up, Bayern Munich fans. Hopefully, this does end in an acquisition of Kane. But I, again, I cannot believe it until I actually see Harry Kane throwing on that Bayern Munich jersey, posing next to the Bayern Munich emblem. I need to see all of that before I will actually believe in anything regarding Harry Kane moving to Bayern. And again, I hope it I hope it happens. I think it would be a jolt of adrenaline in Bayern Munich's roster in their attack and I think he would instantly make them one of the top 3 or 4 teams uh in terms of contenders for the Champions League title. I think it would be a no-brainer move even if it does cost nine figures, but we'll see. I I, I am not convinced about it. One other interesting rumor that we did see arise this week was Bayern Munich again being linked with Juventus winger Federico Chiesa. So Chiesa is one of these interesting players who, as a winger, is absolutely phenomenal. The problem with Chiesa is that torn ACL that he had took him about a full year to come back. And of course, when he came back, he still really wasn't himself. Now, we did see, if you followed him at all, Toward the end of the season, you did see that he had a little bit of an uptick in his performance. We all know the second year is the year after an ACL where you start to really feel like yourself. I think Kiesa is poised to continue that same flight pattern that he was on in terms of success. He is a dynamic talent. I don't know if Bayern Munich can clear enough space to add a player like him. And what I mean by that is, if you're bringing in Chiesa for $60 million or whatever the, the end result is on ter- in terms of a transfer fee, somebody's got to go. And at Bayern Munich, when you have Sadio Mane, Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, and Serge Gnabry, at least two of those players probably have to go. Now, right away, I think everyone would point to Sadio Mane and say, don't let the door hit you, buddy. But it's going to be easier said than done to get him out that door. Mane's huge salary and lack of performance last season really hampered Bayern Munich's ability to be able to sell him. When you see his PR man hitting the press and saying that it was his teammates' fault not adapting to him for why Mane was so uh, riddled with failures last season, it's just a bad look. And I don't know him personally, obviously, but He had two incidents, one with a coach, one with a player. He now has his PR man, his PR lapdog out in the press, basically blaming the Bayern Munich players for not accepting this prodigious talent onto their roster and adapting all of their games to make his life easier. It's a terrible look. And for all of the stuff that we had heard about Mane, how great of a humanitarian he is, how great of a person he is, he may very well be all of that. But what he has been since he came to Bayern Munich is pretty much not a good guy. Uh, you know, listen, you can go through those locker room incidents and you can have any number of takes on what went down and how you feel about it. I don't like having a paid PR guy, like I said, a lap dog, out pushing your agenda to the media where it makes your teammates look bad. It's a terrible look. Bayern Munich has in and of itself, had several terrible looks during this offseason already. If you don't have Mane's lapdog PR man out pushing his agenda, you've got Ryan Gravenberg complaining about his playing time. 
These are all things that in the past Bayern Munich would have handled in-house. And I feel like some things are starting to slip in terms of Bayern being able to control that narrative. That narrative of unity and Mia San Mia and all of that, it doesn't mean anything if you can't keep the players under control when it comes to this kind of thing. I'm sorry to have Mane's PR guy out there. It's not just a bad look for him. It's a bad look for Bayern. And you can say what you want about Graven Burke. He's working the system that's there. You know, we've heard different varying accounts and recent stories about who he's reached out to, when he's reached out to people. At this point, we don't know what to believe with him. We just know that he keeps going to the media. And again, in the past, Byron would have clamped down on this, brought him back in, talked to him, either gotten on the same page with him or sent him packing. Now, we don't know how they're handling it because everything is in such a state of flux. And that's what kind of worries me about where it's all going. You can't look at any scenario where you feel good about bringing Mane back after that season, yet here we are. Byron could have a an opportunity to bring in a great player like Kiesa, but might not be able to because of Mane. When it comes to Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry, I'm far less eager to get rid of them. And I know that's kind of controversial in some circles because both of those players have different segments of the fan base against them. A lot of people hate how mercurial Serge Gnabry has been. He is sometimes the best player on the pitch and other times one of the most hapless. It's a weird dichotomy for his career because he can be so, so good and then just disappears at other points. And I do think that Thomas Tuchel is the kind of coach that if he experiences that type of inconsistency, he will be frustrated and be more inclined to want to sell a player like that. As for Sané, you know, we had talked about this before. Tuchel and Sané got aligned right off the bat. Tuchel was talking all good things about Sané. And then all of a sudden, it kind of slipped away. We don't know for sure what happened with them. We just know that Sané was not among the players that it seemed like Tuchel was looking toward at the end of the season. In the end, I don't anticipate Chiesa making the move to Bayern. He does have Liverpool, Newcastle, and PSG all lining up for him as well. And as much as I think I would like to see Kiesa make that move, I don't know that Byron's going to be able to get rid of enough players at the wing to make that happen. And I don't know that they want to get rid of Gnabry or Sané. And I, and I can make that a, the assumption that Mane is, is definitely a player they would look to get rid of. But Serge Gnabry, it's a little more complicated. We know that he has Arsenal looking at him. Leroy Sané is complicated as well because it doesn't appear that he wants to leave. And I don't know that Gnabry does either. So I think one or two of that wing group would have to go for Chiesa to come in. Kingsley Coman is not going anywhere. It's very tough to think that one of the three of Mane, Sané, and Gnabry will also go, well, would go, or actually two of the three of them would go. I don't see it happening. Uh, but Chiesa is a very interesting name. And I think if Bayern Munich is slinking toward the end of the window and Chiesa had not, has not moved on from Juventus. It definitely could be an interesting name to watch because at 60 million, that's a bargain for him. I know that sounds weird to say, but he is that good of a talent. I think it would be a very affordable price to get him. But again, what can Bayern Munich do to clear some room on its roster to accommodate a player like him? 
I just don't think it can happen. So with that, uh, a good natural place to transition uh, when, when it comes to trying to clear out the roster is Thomas Tuchel still wants a number six defensive midfielder. He wants one badly. The problem is his bosses at Bayern Munich are not quite aligned on things right now. And Sport Builds, Christian Falk, obviously had put out some information on his podcast stating that Tuchel is, is already at odds with his bosses about that position. I think Bayern Munich, when you look at Uli Honus and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, I think that they look at Bayern's midfield core and they don't see a problem. And I don't necessarily disagree with them. We've talked about this a lot, how I personally believe that Kimmich can be as good of a six as he wants to be. I think with Leon Goretzka, I think he needs some time to get acclimated with Tuchel. I don't think Tuchel likes him. I wouldn't be shocked if Goretzka moves on. My early prediction is Goretzka moving to Dortmund, but we'll see if that ever happens. I know, I know he's got the Schalke pass, but uh, Goretzka is a player that cannot afford to take a step back at this juncture of his career. He needs to be somewhere where he will be an important piece of the squad heading into the Euros next summer if he wants any chance of playing there. So it wouldn't shock me if Goretzka gets toward the end of the window and he opts to leave, but that would still leave Bayern Munich with Conrad Leimer and Ryan Gravenberg as options uh, to play the eight position if Kimmich does settle into the number six. We'll see if Bayern relents and if they go out and get someone for Tuchel. I don't know who they could get. Declan Rice, who we mentioned earlier, was definitely the top player that was out there at the position. Everyone else to me that's available right now is a bit lackluster. It's not someone who I would be comfortable paying a lot of money for. So I think that that also probably plays a little bit into Byron's thought process and disagreeing with Tuchel on this, but we'll see how things evolve over the course of this window. If Byron fails to go out and get that nine figure striker that we all think that they need, they could have some cash available to spend in other positions. If they end up having to settle for someone like Nicholas Fulkrug and only have to pay 15 to 20 million for Fulkrug, theoretically, that leaves about 80 million. They could spread at different positions like a defensive midfielder. So, with that, you know, we look at the situation. We can see that Tuchel wants it. We can see that Byron's bosses do not think it's necessary if you believe the reports. And we've already started to see some cracks in that foundation, I guess. Now, listen, I think this is something that Tuchel can get over. But knowing him, this is also something that if things go poorly next season, I am sure Tuchel will be the one pointing out the fact that he wanted a defensive midfielder to stabilize his own team central midfield and that, hey, the club didn't go out and get him what he wanted. How is he supposed to succeed? So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. It does worry me a little bit that Tuchel and Bayern Munich's bosses might already be at odds, but here we are. It's silly season. We'll see a million of these rumors between now and the time it ends. Uh, right now, we're going to take a little bit of a break, but after this, we have a couple of other topics we need to hit on, including a story about Alfonso Davies perhaps drawing the ire of Bayern's bosses. Uh, the center back core looks like it's set. How does that look going in the next season? And then I've got to take on cargo shorts. And I have to tell you this story because I am totally at odds with my wife on cargo shorts. And I'll explain to you why. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Chuck Smith. I am here with the weekend warm up podcast. 
earlier in this episode, we broke down some of the biggest news uh, regarding Harry Kane, Federico Chiesa, and Thomas Tuchel potentially being at odds with Bayern Munich's bosses. Speaking of being at odds with Bayern Munich's bosses, we have the interesting situation of Alfonso Davies. Now, Davies seemed all but assured to get a new deal with Bayern Munich. Things were smooth, and then Brazo got fired, and Davies and his agent, they've been getting a little bit loose lately with things. Uh, His agent was talking openly about the potential of a move to Real Madrid. Davies himself has went on podcasts, and however you want to take what he said. And look, I took some heat because... I said he was whining about having to play left back when he wants to play left wing, which I still believe he was great. He can want to play left wing. Awesome. Bayern Munich wants to use him as a left back. And that just is what it is. Uh, I hate even using that term, but uh, you know, if, if it means that much to Davies, perhaps he should talk to the bosses about making a more serious attempt to change positions or pushing for a transfer. So he can go play that position. Uh, either way, what Christian Falk is reporting is that Byron's bosses are frustrated with Davies because he was very close to signing that extension up until Brazo was dis- dismissed. Now Davies and his agent are just buying time, essentially, and waiting to see if Real Madrid can, you know, shake out its cushions, check the couch, see if it can find anything to put together a bid to get Davies this summer, which sounds ludicrous, right? Like who would think that Real Madrid is going to be able to come up with however much it would take. I would think, you know, listen with Davies age and with his talent, I would think it's got to be 80 to hundred million somewhere in that realm. Uh, that's what it would buy. It would take for Bayern Munich to even look at an offer. I don't know if Real Madrid can pull that kind of scratch at this point. What I do know is that Bayern Munich probably is a little bit frustrated. Uh, They probably thought they had a deal in place that was going to be easy. This would be one thing they could check off their list and then they could move on. But now they have this whole scenario where there is uncertainty and Davies himself, you know, maybe he's a part of the issue, but his agent clearly has become uh, somewhat of a a problem for Bayern Munich. and, And, you know, right now, Who's to say what he's up to? Maybe he is working with Real Madrid behind the scenes. We don't know. But either way, Davies is at a very fascinating point in his career. As a player, he offers so much. He is a dynamic attacking presence as a left back, someone that can break down a defense and create so much chaos. He's truly unique at that position for, for the way that he can play in the attack as a defender. However, there are some deficiencies. And I feel like as as a complete player, he has plateaued. Davies often struggles with positioning defensively. We often see him out of position. Now he's got such great makeup speed that a lot of times he can cover those mistakes because he just has a tremendous burst and can cover so much ground in such a short amount of time. That's a great thing, except it doesn't always work. We also see him struggle with controlling the ball in terms of possessing it. He often will lose lose the ball 20 plus times a game. It's a bit of a problem. And I get it during his attacking that 
he certainly is going to try some things that are going to result in a lost ball there. I get all that. And I think overall, he's a kid you still want to try and build around to make a foundational part of your team. But when you have your when you when you have his agent out there basically begging for Real Madrid to make an offer, toying with the idea publicly, kind of making Bayern Munich look stupid. I get why Bayern would be a little bit perturbed about Davies and his agent and how they've reacted throughout all of this. And I get it. Davies and his agent were probably bitter about the Brazo fiasco and how that all went down. But this is a business, right? <laughs> you can't get personal with your feelings about who you're negotiating with. I mean, listen, we all know Brazo had some, he had some beautiful PowerPoints. And you probably don't have Carl Heinz Rumenega and Ulionis back behind laptops, searching through graphics and putting together text boxes, filling them with interesting quotes and strategic vision points. No, you don't see any of that, I'm sure. Maybe Marco Knapp, but definitely not Rumenega and Honus. And if Davies and his agent can't get back on track with this, I do think heading into next summer, which is really, really key for Davies, I think this could be a situation where Bayern Munich does not want to let go of Davies, but really might have to think about it next summer. I, I truly don't think it's even going to be on the table this summer. But if things keep regressing the way that they have with the relationship between the club and Davies' agent and Davies not necessarily being on the same page with where what position he wants to play, I think this could be a big problem. It really could. And, you know, I sat here at this point last year and it was talking about Luca Hernandez not re-upping his deal when it seemed like a shoeing. Sometimes with players, fans want them to be something they're not. They want them to be a, I don't want to say one club player because almost no one is anymore, but they want players that are going to be loyal and they want them to stay at a club for a long time and be lifers. It's the reality of the situation is just not going to happen that much anymore. And as we saw with Hernandez, the second the situation changes and something more advantageous for him came into play, he took that opportunity as he should. And I do think that Davies is going to be in that same realm. So I know this is a little bit controversial, but next summer, you're not going to get nearly as much for Davies as you would this summer. I'm not advocating selling Davies by any means, but if Real Madrid is very, very serious and they're going to come at you with a nine figure bid, I think you have to take it because I, I I'm at the point now with Davies where I don't think he's going to come back. And I do think he's going to look to leave Bayern Munich and go to Real Madrid or go to the premier league, wherever he wants. And he's going to be successful no matter where he goes He's just not going to be that finished product that a lot of people think he is. And I don't want to sound like I'm knocking him. Listen, I I love the kid's game. I think he's got such good energy. I think he does a lot of good things. I also think he likes being a celebrity too much to really be 100% fully focused on his career as a footballer. And I know that that is a tough balance these days. I know that Everyone needs to be a brand. They need to have a YouTube channel. They need to be a TikToker. They need to be everywhere to maximize what they can get from their own personal brand. 
The problem with Davies, he does not seem to have that switch that he can turn off being Alfonso Davies, a celebrity, and differentiating that from Alfonso Davies, the footballer. Right now, I just think that he's in a spot where there's too much going on off the field that he can't make those improvements within his own game that he does need to make to get to the level that I think we all think he can get to. I I honestly have been disappointed with his play at times over the past two seasons. And I know there's a million stats out there and who scored and so if scored and they'll rate him the second, second best left back in the league or second best player, whatever you want to say about him. Either way, he's got that talent. It's undeniable, but he's not maximizing it. And he's certainly not getting the most out of it that he possibly could at this point. So I want to see the kid stay at Byron. I want to see him progress into being that great left back that we know he can be. I just don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's possible. And I do think if something good comes in, a great offer comes in for him this summer, Byron should at least consider it. It's not ideal. Timing is not great, obviously. But now you have Rafael Guerrero, who you could play out there, and you could probably get consistent performances from. Wouldn't quite be at the same level as Davies, in my opinion, but it's passable. I don't know if that's good enough, but it's passable. And it's where it gets interesting, right? Because who in their right mind would think about getting rid of Alfonso Davies? And again, I'm not advocating for that. I think it would be silly if Bayern Munich went on the offensive to try and sell him. But like I'm saying, I'm looking at this whole situation. I'm looking at the relationship between the agent and the club. I'm looking at the fact that Davies has, before he or his agent, have both both indicated that they just want stability through 2026, that World Cup that will be hosted in North America. I get that completely but it does not bode well for what Davies future at Bayern Munich might look like. If he just wants stability through 2026, to me, that means he was, he would really look to get the hell out of Bayern Munich as soon as that world cup is over. And then maybe I'm wrong on that, but uh, I do think it's a situation that's worth monitoring for the club. I think for the fans is as difficult as is it, as it might be to hear. There are a lot of red flags right now doesn't mean that necessarily something bad is going to happen but it does mean that there are certain there are certainly some points being made behind the scenes by Davies and his agent I just don't know how receptive Bayern Munich as a club is going to be at this point we had recently seen that uh the new CEO is taking this uh approach that he does not want to keep players at the club who don't want to be at the club. So for a player like Davies, if he truly doesn't want to be there, this could be a situation where he's able to force his way out if he wants to. You could say the same thing about Gravenberg, that if he doesn't want to be there. And Goretzka, if Goretzka gets to August and he doesn't feel like Tuchel's going to play him, if he feels like the relationship between he and the coach is not where it needs to be, he also could push for a move. So if Dreesen really does mean that and he does not want to keep players held hostage at Sabiner Strasse, it could be a very wild window. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It could be nuts, but we'll see how things go with it. Alfonso Davies, at least in my mind right now, is on very shaky footing with his future uh, when it comes to Bayern Munich. So uh, I will definitely be following that. I'd like to get your take on that, knowing some of the stuff that's out there. Uh, 
you know, I know I get slammed every time I talk about Davies and the part of his games, the part of his game that I don't like and how, listen, I do. I'll say it again. I feel like he's lost a little bit of focus and that's easy to do for a young kid who's had a lot of success, who's got a lot of plans. Uh, I do think he needs to recalibrate himself and get back on track and fix those parts of his game that have caused him some issues. The center back court Bayern Munich is another interesting thing. Uh, we're going to see Kim Min Jae signed, sealed, and delivered shortly. And he'll join Daya Upamakano and Matthias Delict as a three-man monster as part of a back, what we assume is all going to be a back four, uh, a grouping that will be able to manage that. So two starters at center back out of Upamakano, Delict, and Min Jae. Is that a good move? I think we've all kind of covered this. At this point, Byron needs a center back. And Kim Min Jae is one of those players who is probably the, the most highest regarded player out there in terms of what you can get for value for the money. Uh, he certainly had a great season with Napoli. But is that grouping, that trio, is it good enough when it comes down to it in the Champions League? We have seen Upa Meccano have some disastrous results <laughs> In the Champions League, we know Delict got off to a slow start last season, but was tremendous by the end. I'm very intrigued by the thought that Bayern Munich was looking to bring in a fourth player because it, to me, when when that was all the rage, and of course now we know, at least if you believe the most recent reports, that Bayern will not chase another center back. But it did seem like they might be potentially unhappy with some of the results, maybe with some of the way that Delict played or Upa Meccano played. Like I said, Upa probably got more heat in the second half than anyone because he just had a couple of terrible performances. Um, but in my mind, I think it's a good, formidable base. I think they're a strong trio. I do worry about it. Delict is a leader. Meccano does talk a lot. I'm not as much worried about how things operate from the back line moving out, but... You know, if you get one injury at this point, you're in bad shape because, you know, if Delict went down and you're looking at Upa Meccano and Kim Min Jae as your long-term replacements at center back, I don't know if that's going to be good enough. I hope it is. I hope both players have terrific seasons, but this is definitely something for Bayern Munich fans to uh, be a little wary of. If three good players... Kim Min Jae will have to adjust to life in Germany. Uh, by all accounts, he probably should be able to do that. He seems like a uh, a good, hardworking player who will come in and really try and establish himself the right way. I think that that's all good. It's all working in theory, but uh, we'll see how the results play out on the field. Uh, we know that this defense definitely struggled at times. Other times they were awesome, but uh, it'll be a new unit. There could be some new outside backs as well, but as far as the center backs go, it does look like this will be a three-man monster for Bayern Munich. And uh, hey, it'll be interesting to see game to game how Tuchel selects two of those three players to uh, represent the squad in his best 11. So uh, again, a lot of fun watching that saga play out. I know I will be loving every second of it because Every game will give the opportunity to look at the matchups and examine who I think would start and who I think should start as opposed to who Tuchel ultimately goes with. So that whole situation is going to be a lot of fun.
It really will. I hope it's successful. That would be much better than actually being fun. But, you know, there are going to be some tough choices at times for Thomas Tuchel. And uh, barring injury, knock on wood, uh, it should be a good base for the Bavarians to have as they continue to settle in under Thomas Tuchel. Finally, the last thought that I want to hit on uh, is something that is not necessarily near and dear to my heart, but something I've disagreed with with my wife for a long time. Uh, this week, we went to Hershey Park. We took our kids there. And, you know, as you're in an amusement park, you, you're seeing a lot of people, right? Different walks of life. Like, for instance, I saw this lady wearing a, no joke, I mean, 80s vintage Motley Crue Girls, Girls, Girls concert shirt. The thing is, and I know it's all the rage, it's all the rage right now. You get these retro concert shirts and all. I legit think this was from the 80s. Like, I think she's been wearing that shirt since like 89 or whatever. Uh, whenever that album, maybe it was probably 87, but either way, uh, this lady looked like she enjoyed the crew. She looked like she had a hell of a lot of fun in the 80s, and I respected the hell out of her. So, when you're in an amusement park, you see they're all different kinds of people you don't see normally. So, Hey, I saw that lady and I was like, yes, if I could have went up and, and given her a hug, I, I probably would have, because I, I respect any woman that is rocking the crew concert shirt here in 2023, when that damn album came, <laughs> came out at least like 35 years ago. So whatever, but that lady was awesome, but this is beside the point. I don't know why I'm talking about crew concert shirts, but the one prevalent theme throughout the day that, that my wife and I saw is that like old dudes like me, they are constantly rocking cargo shorts. Right. And my wife thinks, you know, they're out of style, blah, blah, blah. They're terrible. And me, listen, I, I'm a realist about the situation. Cargo shorts. I don't care about style for one. Obviously, if you saw the way I dress, you would know, like I'm far from a fashionista, but cargo shorts are practical for old dudes like me. You have multiple pockets where you can store things, your phone, your wallet, your keys. You don't need to necessarily be walking around with a backpack on to hold, hold all your stuff because you've got all these pockets and they're great. Like you can fit everything. It's all comfortable. And that's the thing. You can get something in each different pocket to where it's not, you know, rubbing up against your skin or your keys aren't poking your leg. Plenty of options, right? Now, where I will side with my wife, and it does appear that this was an issue that kind of went to either like, the younger end of the old dudes, maybe like me, and then probably went over to the upper end of the old dudes who are rocking cargos. If your cargos are too long, then you do run the risk of looking like a tool. But here's the thing. I'm okay with looking like a tool. I don't care. Now, self-admission here, I did not wear cargos to the amusement park. I wore what well, I guess they would call athletic shorts now. I used to call them mesh shorts, but I guess they were like Under Armour shorts, whatever. I wore them for the comfort, right? Like I like to be able to move around. I don't like to feel constrained, any of that. So that's what I wore. But dude, I mean, so many old guys, and I mean, older at my age or older, they were wearing these cargos and some of them, dude, it was great. Like they were so long, like below the knee. They looked like they should just have like a, a skateboard with them and be rocking a Santa Cruz shirt <laughs> and, you know, going to work, going to work the half pipe and hit some ollies and all that. Like, it was crazy. Like, I looked at dudes who were like my dad's age and they were wearing these cargos and they were so damn long. So, you know, as we started to see more and more people 
old guys wearing these cargos, it our debate kind of sparked a little bit, right? Like I'm steadfastly defending the cargos and she's telling me I'm an idiot and they're out of style. And look at this guy, they're down halfway down his calf. That's looks ridiculous. And she was right about that. But if you get a good cargo that is comfortable and it you know, cuts a little bit higher than the knee, I think it's a good look. I think it's a practical look. It's something that every old dude should have in his arsenal. I know I've got a couple of pair in the closet that I will break out now, even more often just to piss my wife off. But they're a good thing. Cargos, I don't know why they get the hate, especially for my wife, but they definitely are uh, frowned upon these days. And I don't get it. It's a, it's a practical article of clothing. And uh, hey, old dudes like me should be wearing it because, you know, what the F do we care what we look like half the time anyway? That'll about wrap it up for this episode of the weekend warm up. Not quite sure how I landed on the cargo controversy, but I felt like I needed to to get that out there for all my cargo wearing brothers that are out there. Uh, it's like that episode of Curb when Larry David talked about the fraternity of bald guys and they just nod to each other. If you're if you're a cargo where we, sh we should be given some kind of nod, uh, even if you're not wearing those cargos, because hey, if you see me out and I'm wearing cargos, I want you to come up, man. I want you to give me a hug. And hopefully you're wearing one of those Motley Crue concert shirts, girls, girls, girls from like 88 or whatever. That'll do it. <laughs> I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, it's always fun to host a weekend warm up. If you have not voted for us in the World Soccer Awards Best Club podcast, uh, get to it. There's only a couple hours left in this, right? We I think there's a day and a couple of hours left. Hit us up, give us a vote. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our Tweetmeister Tom Adams at Tommy Adams seventy one. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. -N. Get all of the latest and greatest Bayern Munich news and Germany news at BavarianFootballWorks.com. We have a ton of talented writers and podcasters just eager to give you all that Bayern and Germany news. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a couple of beers on me, and we will see you next time. <laughs>